welcome to Pickaxe and Roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Friday night, early Saturday morning, as I am recording this one pretty late. Uh, this was a tough game for Nuggets fans, but fear not, there are some silver linings for sure. Uh, so stick around till the end so we can talk about the playoffs, because I know that that's what people want to hear about. Final score of this one was 127-120. Utah Jazz win it over the Denver Nuggets. The big story tonight, Boyan Bogdanovich just goes in fuego. It was frankly unbelievable to see what he did tonight. And and you got just got to tip your cap to him in, in some respects for sure. 48 points. Uh, I don't have the, the full box score pulled up in front of me. Let me just get it now. Uh, 16 of 23 from the field. 8 of 11 from 3. 8 of 8 from the free throw line. He was great. And the Nuggets just did not have an answer for him. And when you... When anybody drops 48 on you, it feels pretty bad, especially when you're trying. So this was a tough loss. This was a tough game for Denver to swallow, I think. And they are going to have to figure some things out because I I am a little bit concerned. Uh, not super concerned because there, there are still some, like, there are games left and this wasn't the most important one of them. But I still think that Denver, they could they could have benefited from a win here. And just showing that they could go on the road against a really good team and and proving it to them, but they've already won against the Clippers, so maybe that's maybe that's misplaced. But either way, we're going to talk about the game first and second segment, and then we will talk about the playoff picture in the third segment. So stick with us for sure. Uh, but for now, let's talk about Boyan uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, six foot eight wing of uh, for the Utah Jazz. He just gave the Nuggets buckets and. It really wasn't one person. He gave it to everybody. I watched back. I, I watched the clips back. I looked at some of the shots that he took. It wasn't just Aaron Gordon. It wasn't just Michael Porter. Uh, I think that those guys they can share in some of the, the blame for this, but it really was everyone. Uh, Boyan was on the the receiving end of a, a lot of transition threes. He was on the receiving end of some some kickout threes after offensive rebounds. Uh, so everybody can take the blame for it. Uh, Jokic got got. Uh, Paul Millsap got got. Uh, Faku Kampazo wasn't great on him. Uh, Austin Rivers wasn't great on him. There were a lot of guys that I think could raise their hand and say, yeah, I could have been better. It was tough. Denver, they really went at him uh, in, in a lot of cases, and I thought that the Utah Jazz really handled it perfectly. They They just kept working and hunting for those threes, especially with Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Bogdanovich shoots 8 of 11 from 3. Jordan Clarkson, 6 of 20 from the field, but 6 of 14 from 3. Scores uh, 21 points. He was really good, too, for for the Jazz in, in terms of leveraging what the Nuggets did. But I thought that those guys were good, and they really put to work Denver's defense, and that Denver, they're really big, they're athletic, but they aren't quick and... I think there is some lack of in intuition in the off-ball defense, especially with this current group that they have out there. Uh, there's only so much that Faku Campazo can do, Nikola Jokic can do. Uh, I thought that the starting lineup of Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, and Paul Millsap, along with Jokic and Campazo, it wasn't great, especially defensively. Uh, it was great offensively. It wasn't great defensively. Actually, it was really bad. And that was uh, that was a pretty big factor in this. Like Boyan, he was getting free 
pretty much every which way. And you'd like for somebody to be able to kind of put their hand up and, and say, hey, I've got this assignment. I know that he's doing really well, but I can do it. Uh, you would think that Aaron Gordon would be that guy for Denver, but he is more of an on-ball stopper, more, more of a guy that when you when you have the ball in your hands, he's a guy who does a really good job of preventing those players from getting to their spots. Boyan Bogdanovich is an off-ball shooter. He runs off of screens. He runs off of like he comes off of pin downs. Gets into the corner for spot ups. Does a lot of off ball movement, kind of similar to Michael Porter. And then when he does get the ball in his hands, it's usually after generating a switch, generating a mismatch, and he just goes to work at that point. So he's a very good player. And the Nuggets, if they if they're lucky enough to make the second round, I think that they're probably going to be facing the Utah Jazz if that happens. So they will have their hands full if, if they ever get to that point. Because on top of Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles, the Nuggets didn't have to face Boyan Bogdanovich in last year's bubble. So this is just kind of another dynamic that has to be introduced to that equation. Denver can handle it. And I, I think that Donovan Mitchell coming back and, and Mike Conley coming back, it actually reduces the number of attempts that you're usually going to get for, for Bogdanovich. But they hunt for shots for him. They know how good he is, and now Denver definitely knows how good he is too. Very good performance from him. Uh, just an incredible shooting night. It's very possible that you could say, hey, look, Denver just kind of got caught on the wrong day. Maybe they got caught on the wrong week because the week that Boyan Bogdanovich is having shooting-wise is incredible. He's putting up some serious point totals, and this was the the capper, the, uh, the, the career-high night. Maybe they just got unlucky. Uh, I don't think he's going to shoot 8 of 11 from 3 ever again on them. 16 of 23 from the field is really impressive, as is 8 of 8 from the free throw line. So, But he's a good shooter, though. And when you give good shooters rhythm shots to get going, that's a big problem. Let's transition, transition to Denver's side here. Michael Porter was really good offensively tonight overall. 31 points, 10 of 19 from the field, 4 of 9 from 3. Uh, there are really good shooting numbers overall. and He also had uh, 6 rebounds, including 2 offensive ones. Got a couple put... I think he got at least 1 putback. Not sure about 2. I thought his defense tonight was really bad. And it wasn't just on Bogdanovich, but there were a lot of cases where uh, letting George's Niang go off against him, letting uh, Joe Ingles get to the spots that he wants to get to. The first three that Boyan Bogdanovich hit tonight, uh, Michael Porter was running around on, on a, it was a baseline out of bounds play for the Utah Jazz. And Bogdanovich runs off of a Gobert screen. And Michael Porter just kind of chills on that Gobert screen for multiple seconds before trying to get free. And he has to learn, or, or at least get better at, knowing when he has to get off of those screens and hustle around them a little bit more. Because Bogdanovich gets a, a free open shot to the corner because Michael Porter was kind of dawdling in that situation. So he has to be better. He has to be able to pick and choose his spots better. Uh, there were a lot of rotations that he didn't make. Uh, there were some transition opportunities that he could have corralled that he didn't. Um, and only four defensive rebounds is a little bit low for him. He definitely could have had more offense or more rebounds than he did. Uh, there was a, a missed rebound opportunity that he had 
that led directly to a Boyan Bogdanovich three. So there are definitely like there are tangible reasons for criticizing Porter's defense tonight. Despite the fact that he shot the ball well, 31 points, six six rebounds, like he had a really good game offensively. But if he wants credit for being a star player, I'm gonna start treating him like a star. And Jokic is kind of in a different caliber where he carries everything. Porter isn't carrying everything for Denver. He gets up a lot of shots because he gets them up pretty easily, but he's not carrying things. If Jokic wanted to take more shots tonight, then he certainly could have, and we'll get to that. Porter has to be better defensively. He's not put in a great position at shooting guard right now, but he should be able to match up with Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal and Georges Niang. Those aren't guys that he should struggle with. So he's got to be better. Just got to lock in a little bit more. Having other players around him, quicker players to uh, to put him in a little bit of a better spot, that would probably help. But it's not always going to be advantageous for him. He has to do the work himself too. And then Nikola Jokic. Uh, Jokic had a really good night. Uh, 24 points, 13 assists. Uh, 11 shots total, uh, 9 of 11 from the field, and 2 of 2 from 3, 4 of 4 from the line. Uh, to be clear, it was a really efficient and effective night from Jokic, especially offensively. I thought that he wasn't great defensively tonight either. I thought there were definitely opportunities where the Jazz attacked him, and he didn't really wall off the paint that well. Kind of gambled for steals a couple times and put himself out of position defending the rim. So he has to be better on that end. But in that fourth quarter, I thought he got a little bit pass happy. And, and it worked out sometimes. Like Austin Rivers uh, paid him back one time for uh, for an open pass. And he's always going to make that open play. But the Jazz, despite the fact that they have Rudy Gobert and they were doubling a lot of the time, or at least showing pretty hard, Jokic has to still be able to get up some shots at the end because Denver only put up 21 points in the fourth. And though a lot of that was because the bench really struggled without him, he still has to be able to come into that game and make his mark on it as a scorer to draw more attention for those other guys. He kind of plays into their hands when he when they take the ball out of his hands because they don't want him to be the guy that kills them. And I thought that we saw kind of down the stretch there that, hey, Austin Rivers is going to miss one. He's going to turn the ball over. Faku Kambazo is going to miss one. Even Michael Porter, he's going to miss one. Jokic was on fire for most of this game, just from an offensive perspective. But he kind of went too long without shots, I think. And once that happened, uh, made it made a mistake here or there. He got a pass picked off uh, from the post by Jordan Clarkson. And that was that at that point because... There were too many opportunities, I think, that he tried to pass open some teammates. And though some of them hit, Denver needed every basket that they could get. And they just didn't get it down the stretch. All right, let's just take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk more about uh, the bench and some of the other guys. But first, uh, this podcast is sponsored by DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, there are so many great deals on DraftKings that they've been putting out. This week is a fight night deal. $1, you bet $1, you get $55 if that fighter wins. 
uh, for the, in this weekend's main title fight. This is for all new users. They get the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds. That is crazy. And you love to hear that because they keep doing these deals for fighting. They did them for the uh, for the Kentucky Derby. They did them for the Masters. If you haven't signed up for DraftKings, then you're probably doing it wrong because you could probably make a lot of money betting on DraftKings. Uh, in this case, new users, they get $1 or bet $1 on the fighter of your choice. You cash out $55 if that fighter wins. So keep that in mind. DraftKings, they are awesome. There are even more ways for you to make it rain now. They are safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can withdraw and deposit your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up. That's how you let them know that you came from us. Uh, For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 for this weekend. Use code MHS when you sign up. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-522-4700. All right, back here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Uh, we are continuing to break down this Utah Jazz loss that the Nuggets sustained. It was a 127-120 to 120 loss, and it's too bad that, that things went the way that they did, but I thought there were still some decent signs. And I thought Paul Millsap and Aaron Gordon offensively, there, there are some good signs there. Uh, I thought that they were both really good inside the arc, off of cuts, off-ball movement. Jokic did a great job of drawing Rudy Gobert out of the paint, and once he did that, Porter is a guy that, that is going to draw a lot of attention, and he did so. But that left often, excuse me, got the hiccups a little bit. That often left uh, Paul Millsap, Aaron Gordon, they were screening for each other, screening for Porter. Uh, they would cut and then back cut and then come around the perimeter and do everything they could to find the open space. And I thought that Jokic did a really nice job, especially early, of finding those guys for easy shots around the rim easy opportunities. Millsap and Gordon, they're they're both understanding how to move, and they did a really nice job, I think, of kind of leveraging their size and and their touch around the rim. Uh, Both guys did a really nice job around the rim tonight, and that was a really, really important piece of Denver scoring 120 points. Millsap even hit some threes tonight, which is, is really encouraging. Both of them were on the left wing, and he had been really missing some shots a lot of the time. Uh, had been, I think, about 25% from three in the second half, which is not a great number. <laughs> you, you never want to see something like that, but got some to go tonight. That is encouraging. Denver's going to need him to shoot really well. They're also going to need Aaron Gordon to shoot really well because over the last several games, he has not shot the ball at all. Uh, 25.9% from three with the Nuggets so far in his Nuggets tenure. That's over 22 games. It's not a small sample size. He also gets some pretty easy threes, so this is a uh, this is a tough thing. He's also 0% from, from three in his last six games. He's shot 0 of 11, and Denver, they're probably kind of looking to themselves a little bit, thinking, okay, we, we got to get this guy shooting again. 
because it's so important with Denver's lineups that they have all five guys have the ability to shoot, especially around Jokic. Uh, You want to be able to cut and space the floor because if Aaron Gordon is shooting threes, then that leverages his offense, his athleticism, his cutting to the rim even more. Uh, He's not going to be great from there. Uh, Our guys from a from Orlando, who I, I've I've talked to, uh, Stephen Cameron, uh, for, who's an Orlando Magic fan, he has been pretty adamant about Gordon just being a very inconsistent shooter throughout his career, and that sort of bears weight with the stats. It sort of bears weight just with how Denver has been going. Uh, Aaron Gordon, he's, he's just in a cold streak right now, and Denver needs to get him out of it. It's really important that they do. Let's talk Faku. Uh, Faku was really good tonight other than shooting. And shooting kind of makes up for a lot. So I think that that's, that's going to be tough for people to, to think about because he did a lot of really great things uh, from a playmaking perspective. He grabbed a lot of rebounds. I think he grabbed eight rebounds once again tonight, uh, which is awesome. Um, I think that was uh, that was second on the team behind Jokic, and that's that's really good. Also had nine assists. That is really good, too. Only two turnovers. When you have a a 4.5 assist-to-turnover ratio, that's going to be very helpful. But he only scored five points, and he went one of seven from three and two of ten overall. So, five points on ten shots is is not going to cut it. Like That's a a really tough ask, and especially in a game where Utah put up 127, you need guys that are going to be able to match that. You need guys that are going to be able to generate more points than Faku did. I think that he can, and we, we've seen him do it, and, and he's been up and down at, at times, but most of the time, especially as a starter, he's been up. He's had a lot of great opportunities to make an impact, and tonight it was just tough because he did have some open shots. He did have some really clean looks that didn't drop. He also had to take a couple late late shot clock shots that aren't great, and you, you give him a pass for those for sure. But it was even on the uh, on kind of the transition looks where he got the open opportunity and just never went down. So it's really too bad. Uh, still, he hustled. He was a good playmaker. He made a really nice pass underneath to Millsap for a layup. Uh, that was a I think that was in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, but it could have been in the second half. Uh, he also didn't get posted up by anybody on Utah, which that's important. Uh, Mike Conley's not going to post him up. Donovan Mitchell might try, but he's only 6'1". Jordan Clarkson, he thought about it a couple times, but never actually did. Thought that Denver did a a nice job of kind of helping out Faku in that case without kind of compromising their defense. And, uh, and yeah, he also just like, Faku did a lot of good things. I don't want to get it twisted here. He had a mostly good game. It would have been a really good game, and and Denver might have won it had he made three of seven threes as opposed to one of seven. So take it with a grain of salt. He'll be better the next time. Austin Rivers, he shot the ball well, but he was kind of the opposite of Faku. Uh, Austin Rivers shot the ball well, 18 points, 6 of 10 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. Missed a free throw. That was crucial. Uh did have three assists, but he had three turnovers, and he was a, a tied-for-team low minus 12. I thought he was the reason for a lot of the defensive miscommunications tonight. Just going back and watching some of the film, watching some of the clips, 
it looks like Rivers isn't fully connected a lot of the time. There are lots of defensive miscommunications, mixed up assignments. He's looking for his guy uh, late into the late into the possession. And he just looked like a guy that's still kind of getting up to speed. And you don't blame him for that because he is still getting up to speed. He's just been with this team for a very short amount of time. But Denver kind of needs him at this point, and they, they need that reliability. In, in a game like this against the Jazz, where they put you into a blender, you have to be smart, you have to be reactionary, and you have to be you have to understand where the play is going to go as well. So you have to be proactive in addition to that. And it didn't look like Rivers was very proactive tonight. He was just kind of reacting late. He hit some shots, and there were some big ones in there too. Had one where he got hit kind of coming around a screen. uh, Very uncomfortable and still kind of pulled up from three and did a nice job with it. Even had a couple of those in the fourth quarter. Third quarter, fourth quarter. So he gets some credit for that for sure. But he was just responsible for a lot of the bad second half defense. Uh, Second quarter and fourth quarter specifically. Um, It's tough. And you don't don't want to pile on a guy because there are a lot of uh, people to be at fault tonight. Jokic had some problems. Porter had some problems. Gordon had some problems. Everybody pretty much had some problems. Even Faku. Like, like he was a part of some of the miscommunications defensively. He wasn't perfect. Uh, it was a really bad night from Austin Rivers from that perspective, though. So hopefully he can kind of put it all together at some point soon. And then, like, he had those good shots against New York. And the fact that he just hit another five threes against Utah in a back-to-back performance, that is a good sign. Because you could maybe maybe start expecting a little bit of consistency there. Maybe get about thirty five percent from three on most nights, and then he uh, then he does well. Other than that, so we have to see how that kind of balloons out from here. Because ideally, you'd want his role to go down as guys come back. But I still like what he's provided overall. He's been a really good veteran presence for Denver, and I hope that he continues with that. Uh, JaVale McGee, I don't know. It was a bad JaVale McGee game. Uh, He took a really deep mid-range two-point jumper with 16 seconds on the shot clock, and I'm not really sure why. Uh, Shaq Harrison also attempted two threes. He got a carrying turnover late in that fourth quarter. A lot of weird stuff from uh, from JaVale McGee and Shaq Harrison tonight, and I thought that Shaq, this was probably his worst defensive game that he's had since coming to Denver. A lot of times where he got caught on screens by Rudy Gobert. A lot of times where he lost track of his man, got miscommunicated with uh, with some of the other guys. And whether it was his fault or not, they happened because of the miscommunication. And Shaq Harrison was a part of a lot of that. So I wonder if this is a one-off thing or if this might just be a kind of everything coming back down to earth. Because Shaq Harrison wasn't really good in this game. Uh he did have one steal, he did have one block, and he had a drive that was that was really nice. But like I, I still think that Denver needs more. They're, they're gonna need more from that bench. That bench overall tonight. Uh Austin Rivers gave a lot of points. Uh Jamichael Green had three threes, but they're all in the minus for a reason. And I thought that uh Utah's bench, especially kind of in their minutes when they put Gobert and and guys like that, they put Gobert and Bogdanovich back in the game with that bench unit. 
And it looked pretty bad for Denver at that point. Um, yeah, I think this game really shows just how much Denver misses their guards. That's probably the last point I'll make about this game. They would have put P.J. Dozier on Bogdanovich, in my opinion. Bogdanovich isn't perfect for Aaron Gordon. Uh, but Dozier would have really helped because he does a lot of off-ball work. And Bogdanovich does a great job of working off-ball. And I think Dozier does a really good job of preventing those things off-ball. He also has the the size and the athletic ability to stick with him. And if uh, Bogdanovich goes down into the post, then so be it. That means that they, they kind of get out of their blender offense and they're more just trying to post up a mismatch. And if, if that's the case and you're posting up a 6'6 guy with long arms, then I'm okay with that because P.J. Dozier is a really good defender who held Paul George to 5 of 21 from the field. Like, there would be a lot to like about a, a P.J. Dozier on Boyan Bogdanovich matchup. But we'll have to see how that goes, and we'll have to see whether it actually makes sense for that in the future. Monte, Will Barton, they would have made more shots. Denver had too many instances and too many empty possessions in that fourth quarter, and there were definitely opportunities for uh, the Nuggets to kind of break away a little bit earlier than that, and they never did. They actually went down, so... Monte, Will Barton, they kind of get things into a more traditional sense. Uh, if Monte is shooting well and Faku's not, then maybe they go with Monte, and that, that really helps in some in some cases. Barton, too. Like, he's the offensive counterpart to P.J. Dozier. You have those opportunities, and, and they manifest themselves a little bit, and you, you might just find yourself back in the game because you don't have to rely on Austin Rivers for 30 minutes or Shaq Harrison for 15 so, we'll see if that ultimately changes things. Uh, but Utah's a really good team. It was a tough game, and, and they, they proved that they were the better team without all of these pieces that I think Denver can really should count on. Uh, I think Denver can beat them in a series, though. If everybody's healthy, if Mitchell and Conley are healthy, if uh, Morris, Barton, uh, PJ, if they're all healthy, too, I still think that Denver can beat them in a series. I think that Porter has shown enough. He will grow as the series goes along. He'll continue to find his opportunities. And though Utah is a very smart defense and they'll be able to kind of back him into a corner a little bit at times, he can still shoot over them. And as long as he learns to not take too many bad shots, then I think they'll be fine. But we're going to see. We're going to see how they handle it and, frankly, whether they can get to that point anyway. So... Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the playoffs, though, because I think that's what everybody wants to hear. We'll be right back. All right, back on Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you can, leave a rating and review five stars on iTunes. That would be awesome. Uh, just continue to get those uh, those five-star ratings, and they, they keep helping me drive the product. So this is awesome. You guys are awesome. So thank you so much. All right. Let's break down the playoff schedule. Uh, Denver, I think actually, oh, it's interesting. Every team in the West has five games remaining, if I'm not crazy. Let me just make sure that I'm not uh, looking at something incorrectly here. Um, 
Yeah, so Utah is 49 and 18 at the one seed. That's 67 games played. Phoenix 48 and 19, 67. Clippers 67. Nuggets 67. Mavericks 67. Blazers and Lakers are all 67 games played. So every team has five games remaining. And I can go through all of those right now. I'm not going to go through the Utah and Phoenix schedules. I'm going to go through Denver, the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Blazers, and the Lakers. Uh, the, the Clippers, they are in the three seed. They are one game up on Denver, but if Denver ties them in the standings, then they move up to three. The Clippers have a pretty easy schedule. They have the Knicks on Sunday. Then they go on a four-game road trip, just like Denver, actually, with Toronto, Charlotte, Houston on a back-to-back, and then Oklahoma City. They can definitely win those final games. Those are those are probably games that they're going to win, even if they don't try. Like they'll go three and two, four and one, in all likelihood. If they go four and one, that means that they are forty nine and twenty three. Denver would then have to win all five of their games in order to keep up. Denver has Brooklyn on a back to back on uh, Saturday tomorrow. When you're probably listening to this, they have a four game road trip after that with Charlotte. Minnesota, Detroit, and Portland in that final game. We'll circle back to that one. Denver, if they if they keep pace with the Clippers, then they have an opportunity to still get the still get the three seed. But I think that it's mostly likely that if Denver loses against Brooklyn, then they're probably locked into the four. The Clippers could obviously lose against the Knicks, and nobody would really be surprised because the Knicks are a good team. But they're probably going to win those games after that. I don't see a a realistic probability for them to win those. Denver is kind of in the same boat with Charlotte, Minnesota, and Detroit. uh, But Charlotte is competing for a... a, They're competing for a play-in spot. Uh, Minnesota, they still want to work with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and guys like that. Detroit, I'm not sure, like... Their, their season is done. They're probably finite. Uh, but Portland, that last game is going to be an interesting one. Because based off of what the standings look like right now, I think that Denver may tank that game. They'll rest their guys. They'll, they'll try to lose it. And they will rest up for the playoffs. Because it's their right to be able to do that. Uh, but it also might help them with the standings. And we'll talk about why. Dallas is currently, currently in the five. They are five games back of Denver. So if Denver went 0-5 and, and Dallas went 5-0, and, and and they would overtake Denver because they have the tiebreaker. But if Denver wins just one more, then they have solidified a top-four seed. Dallas, though, they have a pretty weak schedule. At Cleveland on Sunday, at Memphis next Tuesday, New Orleans on a back-to-back on Wednesday. New Orleans is really bad. Uh, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, I think, are going to be out for that. And uh, Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, that team is just not good, despite the fact that they competed with the Sixers earlier this week or uh, today. Then they play Toronto, and they finish up against Minnesota. So none of those teams are above 500 for Dallas, despite the fact that they've struggled at times against above 500 teams. Dallas is probably going to win most of those games. Four and one, 
three and two. If they go three and two, let's just say that, that would put them at 42 and 30 at the end of the season. The Los Angeles Lakers in the seventh seed now are 37 and 30. That means that if Dallas wins at least three of their five games, then the Lakers, the highest they can go is a sixth seed. Think about that for a second. The Clippers, they're probably going to be at the three. They have a game lead on Denver, and Denver has a tougher schedule down the stretch. Not impossible. Like, if Denver wins against Brooklyn and the Clippers win against New York, then that could change things really drastically. But we'll see. We'll see about that when it crosses to it. Uh, that would be that would be really tough, actually, if, if Denver won against Brooklyn, and the Clippers won against or they lost against New York, because then Denver would be back in the three, and Denver would be relying on Portland to win some games. Portland right now is thirty-eight and twenty-nine. The Lakers are thirty-seven and thirty. Portland just beat the Lakers on Friday night. Biggest game of the year in terms of the standings, the Western Conference bracket. They needed that game. Portland did, and they got it. That means that they have a game lead against the Lakers as a, in addition to the tiebreaker, which is a very big deal. That means that the Lakers would have to win against, or they would have to have an outright better record than the Blazers. That's probably not going to happen. If the Blazers win tomorrow against San Antonio, that means that they are like Denver will have an opportunity at the end of the season to gift them a win by just resting. If that keeps the Lakers in the seventh seed and in the play-in, then that is okay. Denver will be very happy with that. I say all this for this reason. The Lakers, despite the fact that they are in the seventh seed now, despite the fact that they have uh, injuries and question marks, and it's been a really weird year for them. Despite all that, they're still the team that I fear most because they have two players that give the Nuggets incredible problems. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and then they have a mix of players around them that'll give Denver questions too. Uh, Kyle Kuzma has the ability to match up with Michael Porter Jr. Um, Marcus Gasol is a really good piece for the Lakers that will make things very difficult for Denver. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Alex Caruso, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Wesley Matthews, guys like that. Talon Horton-Tucker gives Denver so many issues. Guys like that, they all seem to play pretty well against the Nuggets. And when they do that, or when, when you have so many guys that feel so comfortable in that situation, on top of LeBron and AD... It's just not a matchup that I really want any part of if I feel like Denver can make a run, which I think that they can. It's one of the reasons why I've been so adamant that Denver should try to go for the four seed, face Dallas or Portland if they make up the difference against Dallas. I think that Dallas is probably going to be the five, which means that if you're Denver, you feel pretty good if if Dallas is the five because you could get to the four he can match up with Luka, and it's going to be tough. But so is every matchup, and you, then you feel pretty good about Denver's matchup with Jokic because it's Kristaps Porzingis, but kind of injured. 
It's Dwight Powell coming off an Achilles tear last year. And it's Maxi Kleba. Boban Marjanovic. I think Denver can win those matchups. And I think they can do it effectively. That's why this end of schedule, uh, this end of season schedule hunting is so big. Because setting the bracket in the way that you think it can be won makes a big difference. If Denver, if they're in the 4-5, the Clippers and Blazers are in the 3-6, the Suns and the Lakers are in the 2-7, and the Jazz and the Warriors are in the 1-8. Like if Utah, let's say that that Utah gets out of it, let's say that the Lakers beat Phoenix, because that's most likely. Say the Clippers beat Blazers, and let's say the Nuggets, they beat the Mavericks. Then you've got the Nuggets going up against Utah in the second round. Denver can win that matchup. It would be tough. We just saw how they played against them, but they can win that. It took 48 points from Bojan Bogdanovic to really, like, separate from Denver. They were still getting everything that they wanted offensively. If the Lakers beat Phoenix and the Clippers beat Portland, then that makes the Battle of L.A. happen in the second round, on the opposite side of the bracket. What that means to me, what that says to me, is that whoever wins that is going to probably be exhausted, because both of those teams are going to go hard for the Battle of L.A. Kawhi, Paul George on the on the Clippers side, and LeBron and AD on the, on the Lakers side. Both of those guys, or both of those tandems, they're going to be exhausted by the end of that second round. It's going to be a difficult run for them, especially if the Lakers were to win. If they had to go up against Phoenix in round one, and then the Clippers in round two, if Denver was able to be in round three, sure, the Lakers might be back and healthy and ready to go, but they might still be fatigued. They might still be tired. You never know. You never know in a situation like that. So I'm still trying to keep the positivity here. Denver has a path to the Western Conference Finals. They do. It's pretty clear. They can beat any of the teams in the top three. Utah, Phoenix, Clippers. They can beat Dallas. They can beat Portland. I don't think that they can beat the Lakers if they're at full strength, if they're at a good place. But if they're tired, if they're exhausted and you catch them napping, then maybe that's different. Maybe then you start to think about different ways they could raise the title, raise the trophy. You still have to play uh, Brooklyn, in all likelihood, and then have to guard Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden at the same time. But say la vie, all you had is a is a, a torn ACL Jamal Murray. And uh, this is tough, guys. Like Denver, they, they could be even better than they already are. 17-5 and five post-All-Star break, and it's tough to, to have to talk about this without Jamal. But Denver has really proven a lot, and they've, they've definitely earned my respect. I hope they get the opportunity to earn that respect league-wide, because there is some slander going on with Nikola Jokic. But if he plays the way that he has played lately, and he continues to put the nuggets on his back, the ceiling is still the roof. Undoubtedly. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back tomorrow night recapping the Brooklyn Nets-Nuggets game. Uh, Should be fun. I assume that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are going to play. Uh, 
Uh, James Harden will be out, from what I understand. So it's it's still going to be interesting. Still going to have a, a really talented team to go up against. And uh, Faku Campazo might get Kyrie Irving thrown out. So that'll be pretty interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the duel between MPJ and Kevin Durant as well. I'm sure that that's one that he's looking forward to. He missed the first game against Brooklyn because of COVID. So I hope that he gets this opportunity now and, and takes advantage of it because this is a, a once in a, not a once in a lifetime, but he, he has been looking forward to this. I can almost assuredly tell you. Should be a lot of fun. That is going to do it. I'll talk to you guys very soon.